everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am glad you found us again. Welcome back if you are an old friend. And like I always say, or recently I've been saying, thank the person that told you about this podcast because your life may just change after listening to a couple episodes. Today, since it's spring, I came in from the grocery store and I realized that our garage needs cleaning again. And so this is our kids' job to do this. And I just have this theory that if kids are doing enough chores, if they're reading enough, and if they are doing enough crossword puzzles with their dad, that they don't have enough time for video games and social media. So that's sort of a test in your home, I guess, that you can try if you've got kids really of all ages. As soon as they are walking, I would say they can start contributing to the workload in, in your home. And, and it is spring and it is time to start cleaning out some things. And our garage is really dirty, by the way. <laughs> so, so the boys can be working on that this weekend. And I say crossword puzzles because that's a really fun thing to do with kids whenever you are tempted to pull out those video game controllers, dad or mom, just grab a crossword puzzle. We actually get a subscription to the real newspaper. We love it because it does have a crossword puzzle in it every week, but we also love it because it has, has, of course, current issues and we use that a lot, but crossword puzzles are really fun. It's sort of a bonding activity and it's a fun thing to do with your kids and you should be doing a lot more of those than you maybe should be spending time on video games and social media. But I say that for the family bonding. And then I say chores because work is very important in all of our lives and especially for our kids. Our kids get a lot of benefits from being a part of your family and doing chores in this time of year. Of course, there's so many things in the yard and the attic and the garage and the basement, everything needs to be cleaned out this time of year. And then I say reading because reading does make you a better person and will make your child a better person. Plus it will make them smarter, which then in turn gives them confidence to do all the things that they need to do in life offline, things that cannot be found on a screen. So that's kind of my little story. My little tip for the day is if your kids are doing their chores and reading and spending time with y'all, with you as a family, then they probably don't have time to spend on video games and smartphones. I just have to tell you about this one mom that I met at a workshop and she was so frustrated and she came up to me and she said, I just get so frustrated when my my son is gaming and I have to pick up all the clothes in his room and all around him and take them down and do his laundry. And I'm sitting there thinking, why are you doing that? <laughs> why are you doing that? I've always said that parents have everything they need right under their roof to balance all this out in our kids' life. And honestly, they really don't have time to waste on video games and social media. Not only are those things not good for them, they really don't have time to do that. So let me introduce our guest today. Ben O'Sullivan, and he is one of our Screen Strong ambassadors. And Ben, I am going to welcome you to the show and hand it over to you for a minute to introduce more about your background and how you got involved with Screen Strong. Yeah, thank you, Melanie. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Super excited to uh, finally be here with you. I always love your stories at the beginning. They're very encouraging and give us a lot of insight to what's going on. 
I'm from Australia. A lot of the same issues, you know, uh, that are experienced in America are also experienced here in the local and public sectors. So it's just great to be connected, yeah, with, you know, organization like yourself and be able just to speak about these issues. Well, I, I know that just from talking with, with you in the past and with people really from all over the world, the issue of screen addiction in kids and maybe if it's not even an addiction, but just conflict in people's homes, yeah. it crosses every ocean. It crosses mm. every barrier. It crosses every aisle. It's just so universal, right? I mean, the problems that you see over there are the same things that we see here and it's very universal. But tell us tell us how you found Screen Strong and then what made you passionate about this topic to begin with? Yeah, there's so much to dive into, but a little bit about me. I'm, I'm a teacher aide. I've been a teacher aide for the last uh, five plus years now. I run my own business uh, doing film and media, and we can probably jump into that a little bit later. I make award-winning short films at this point, so sort of touching on these issues such as uh, explicit media exposure and pornography and um, just documentaries around that. So looking forward to sort of producing more material for not just children, but for young adults and people like that. And I also am studying a Bachelor of Counselling at this time. I'm halfway through that. I recently just got a new role that I start next term actually here at school as a, a school chaplain. So school chaplains are responsible for the pastoral and spiritual care of students and staff. So you might have to jump me uh, back on <laughs> sometime in the future. I'm sure I'll have more stories to tell in that realm. But my experience has just been really quite rich for my age. I guess my exposure to children and youth using screens has been quite quite extreme, just working with individuals particularly who have behavioral issues and things like that. Just it's given me such an insight into that world and the digital era we're in today. Well, enough to make you really passionate around making these little documentaries and stuff. Absolutely. Can you think back to the time when you first started getting mm. interested in this topic? Yeah, definitely. It actually starts probably, wow, like I've been working with youth and youth camps and youth leaderships within the church as well. Like since I was, you know, around 14, 16 as well. So it's, you know, been about 10 years of doing that as well. So I guess it starts back with me. Um, you know, 2007 was in the when the smartphone came out. I've lived a uh, pre-tech and post-tech life. I've seen um, what life is like before technology has advanced and also or smartphone technology, let's say. And I've seen what it's like before that and and what it's like after that. I find it quite fascinating how I can sort of relate with generations before me who say, you know, back in my day, we'd play outside until the street light came on, until mum caught us in. And I'm like, that's exactly what happened with us. Like, that was our childhood. We had a wonderful childhood. The children I speak to today will say, I ask, ask them what they did over the school holidays. Um, they'll say to me, oh, I just played on my brother's iPad or played video games all week. And you know, that's kind of, yeah, disturbing in a way. I mean, in our childhood, we had such a healthy balance of indoor and outdoor play. Yes, we had the PlayStation, the Xbox, um, all these consoles and computers around when we were teenagers, but they weren't, we didn't have the, the sort of addictive games and interactions with screens that we have today. It's much more, or not all screens are created equal. And that certainly seems to be the case. I totally agree with you. I, I, I would love to just hear your thoughts on what happened, right? It Was it just that the technology just got so much more powerful? Because I agree, not all screens are created equal. And, and there was a time when 
video games came on the scene and it was Pac-Man and, mm. you know, Mario Kart or something. And it just wasn't the same. That's right. I, you know, what do you think from your perspective? What do you think really happened? Um, so I remember when you had Dr. Kim on your podcast and he's a video game expert, uh, helps children and adolescents come out of video game addiction. And I remember listening to his podcast with you and was quite fascinated and agreed with everything he was saying, how video games have changed and the dynamics between them have changed. The storytelling progress has changed and Mm -hmm. that affects a child's imagination because as we know it, imagination is the fuel for children and how they live out their their world and their experience. If their imaginations are being filled with toxic content, we see the children are like sponges and mirrors. They soak up and they reflect. And Mm. I believe just the types of content that children are consumed by is yeah really important to be aware of but for me you know i was 11 year, years old when the iphone was released and i didn't have my first iphone with social media until i was 16 and before then i was using a flip phone you know and sure we still had the internet youtube facebook video games and television but the difference was this is that they were often weak and clunky and isolated experiences the smartphone invention kind of solved that problem by connecting right. all of those islands of experience into one giant immersive monster that fits inside your pocket so that's kind of where the problem is that's really interesting because that is you just nailed it i mean that is so true it's when it became more portable we were just saying a minute ago you know what changed well what changed was you used to have to go to the arcade and you had a bunch of quarters and you ran out of quarters and you were done playing your video games and then I don't know if you remember the Game Boy. Were you around when the Game Boy was around? Yeah, I was. I had one myself. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay, great. Well, that that kind of started, you know, the early days of this portable nature. So mm. now, you know, that what you could do is you could play your game in the car and everywhere. <laughs> you know, it became uh, this thing that you could take with you and play. And then what happened with the phone you know, teenagers have been talking on the phone and talking to their friends mm. for many years, but the portable nature of putting a computer in their pocket changed everything as well. And I remember exactly. the day when I figured out that, I know this sounds really silly, but I didn't really totally understand initially when that smartphone came out, how kids were able to actually play video games on their smartphones. Mm. <laughs> it took me a minute to realize that. So every, I think every parent across the world just lost the battle at that point. Mm, that's right. It was much easier to control. You know, it was con- obviously easier to control when your kids were going to the arcade, you know, or to limit that. Yeah. And then it became a little harder once they had laptops, once it went smaller, I think the size, I think everything getting smaller and more portable was a big part of the problem. That's right. I think your last guest now it on the head too with Zachary Church. You know, the problem is accessibility and exposure. That is, it's, it's the ability to click on that Safari button or jump on social media and just have this interconnected reality. And someone who I actually really love, I read a lot of books um, on these topics and Someone I really love is Neil Postman. He has a few books. He was a sort of very prolific and prophetic writer back in the 80s. Um, He was sort of bringing up topics about the endangerment of technology into the future. And I actually have a quote here from him in a book that he wrote called The Disappearance of Childhood. I, I read this and it sounds like it's written for today. It's just amazing. And it was written, you know, 30 years ago. But he says, 
But most rebellious of all is the attempt to control the media's access to one's children. There are, in fact, two ways to do this. The first is to limit the amount of exposure children have to media. The second is to monitor carefully what they are exposed to and to provide them with a continuously running critique of the themes and values of the media's content. Both are very difficult to do and require a level of attention that most parents are not prepared to give to child rearing. And then he goes on and says, but it is halfway toward forgetting that children need childhood. Those who insist on remembering shall perform a noble service. So that's kind of at the end of his book where he's sort of giving us a solution to the problem of exposure and accessibility. And it sort of sums up where we are today and what we need to be doing. So it's really great. You know, this is this is just kind of crazy. And I know that that we're not on a video here, but I just ordered that book. Oh, okay, so it's wow. so funny that you just put it. I have it literally sitting right here on okay. my desk. I have it in my good. hands right now. Okay. It's kind of funny, right? I'm kind of getting like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Twilight Zone. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so right. yeah. I have this book. We're on the and right track, the discip- <laughs> Yeah, we're on the right track. I don't know. We're like, I don't know, zoning in here. Um, so The Disappearance of Childhood is the name of the book he's talking about. And I just flipped it over. I mean, this is so funny that it's sitting around my wow. desk because it's not like in the foyer where all my other Amazon books come in. It's sitting right here at my computer. And the chapter eight is the disappearing child. Yeah. And when I read the table of contents, because I read all the time, I'm That's always right. reading all yeah. these books and I always look at the table of contents and I read that title. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get this book. And so it is uh, sitting here ready for me to read next. Wow. So everyone, we are going to be hearing more. About, and I promise I didn't, I didn't set Ben no, up at all. Up. To... extremely. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, that's, that's very strange. That is so funny. Yeah, but it is, that explains it. Yeah, that does explain it. You will love the book. No, we'll definitely talk about this book after I read it. I already know that it's just going to be really good. And thank you so much for introducing this book to everybody out there. No worries. Yeah. No, so it's very fascinating, but he's uh, got a few other good books too. He's has a very, um, it was controversial at the time called Amusing Ourselves to Death. To Death. Yep. Yep. I have that one too. Talking about television and just, it was just very prophetic for his time. I love it. I just, I love it when when, when people can do that, right? When they can predict 20, 30, 40 years from now, what's going to happen. I mean, it's, you read some of those books like The Shallows and a couple other ones that they, they predicted exactly what's happening. And as parents out there, we've got to start paying attention to this. We have to, we, we can't just brush it off anymore. I think we get a kind of a deaf ear sometime and we just think, oh yeah, everybody thinks that technology is bad, but you know what? this, this is really isn't the same. It's not TV. And, you know, I know we thought radio, right. They thought radio was going to be the death of childhood, but um, there is a point where we do cross the line and we've definitely crossed the line in, in our culture. So talk about that. Talk about what you have seen from your personal experience and, and why you got passionate around, you know, just from your personal stories and your personal experience. Yeah, that would jump into my experience as a teacher aide the last five years. So, yeah, I've been working um, at local primary schools for the last five, uh, five years, and I, I just get to interact with the next generation. You know, they're just as beautiful and inquisitive and full of potential as the next and the last, but, um, but something isn't quite right with this lot. As they say, there's something in the water, and uh, whatever it is they're drinking, it's making them anxious, depressed, suicidal, nihilistic, confused, 
brainwashed, craved, and sometimes deprived of true connection. And I guess we kind of know, looking at some of the spikes in mental health, the sudden spikes, we can see how that kind of links to smartphone introduction, which is fascinating. Like the, the correlation of data is quite incredible. You know, around 2007, 2010, you see this spike in mental health, particularly in young girls, because girls, females work in that social hierarchy. They travel up the hierarchy socially. So uh, whereas boys do that physically, it's in a physical sense. So boys compete physically in sports and games, whereas females would do that sort of via popularity and likes and body image. So it's quite interesting. So and social media, yeah, it's just a death note for, you know, young girls in that generation. But I guess what I was seeing was kind of the same, all those same concepts play out uh, as a teacher aide. Pushed me into more sort of advocacy for it and finding you guys and working alongside you guys because I guess I was seeing, yeah, no, it kind of hits home personally when you have, you know, you, you, you really, you know, love the children and the uh, students and staff you get to work with and seeing how it kind of affects their ability to work and think it's kind of sad. So I suppose it's about educating the next generation and um, about excessive screen time. And particularly for me, it's um, exposure to traumatic content. It's the exposure part that gets me because like Neil even talks about, there are certain things in, in our world that children don't need to know about and their childhood needs to be protected until that age is ready to be known. A lot of that comes down to, you know, the biggest things I think um, the dark triad is, you know, horror, um, pornography and extreme violence. I think they seem to be the three that I've witnessed in at least my experience um, in public primary school sectors that children are exposed to and have the most problem with overcoming, particularly horror, like horror films, horror ideation in video games like Roblox particularly. Yeah, talk about that in a minute. I know that's a really popular game. What are you, from your view, what do you see about that game? Yeah, yeah, a lot actually. I uh, also work regularly with someone here in Australia, I think that you know and love as well, Jen Hoey. She is mm -hmm. a cyber, uh, she's training in cyber security and she started a not-for-profit called uh, Not My Kid Ever. She also has a Facebook group. We've got talking a lot and I really... Yeah, love talking to Jen and she's great, great quality. But she has a quite a tragic story with her own daughter and uh, her own experience with being groomed by someone online. And I'm sure you know, she would explain that better, but you can find her story. She's very open about that, which is fantastic. But essentially, we've talked about Roblox as well. And, and I've uh, also trialed the game myself. And just what I found was just like, yeah, pretty wild. Why do kids get so attracted to it? Yeah, I suppose it's the, uh, it's, you know, it's like, for those who don't know, Roblox is like kind of a ripoff version of Minecraft. You essentially can uh, modify and create these worlds. It's user-generated content. So, you know, it could be some 30-year-old male creating a world for your child and can put the strangest videos and sounds uh, and sights in that world for your child to run into, and you wouldn't even know about it. So that's the problem with user-generated content is that they can't screen the people who create it because um, they could create a fake profile as a certain age and then make this content and you just walk into this world and it's pretty dodgy uh, Roblox to be honest it's very cash grabby there's a lot of um, pop-ups for, for different ads and different you know purchase this buy this now but one story that might help sort of wrap that up is you know I was working with a, 
with a class and this is in grade uh, grade two. So they're about eight years old, seven, eight. And they were talking and the, the little girl revealed that she'd been playing Roblox and been exposed to like Slenderman, Siren Head, all of these weird myth-related horror folklore stories. They're really embedded inside Roblox. And I'd worked with this girl before and, and, and what was bothering me, what made it very personal was I'd seen her go from a very bubbly young girl to a very anxious and flighty person um, to the point where teachers were you know, giving her sensory items and trying to can, you know, help her sit still. And the more I would speak to her, the more I found out that what she was being exposed to through uh, Roblox, she was just essentially, again, sponges and mirrors. She was just soaking in the horror-related content and she was just speaking it out. She was saying the content that was relating to what she was seeing. Children have a strange response to horror-related content. It does something to their bodies, gives them an adrenaline rush, but at the same time, they're very afraid of it and you know, they have nightmares. But it's their way of trying to control it by saying, by laughing at it and saying it's okay. Yeah. A lot of the time, that's, what ch- that's the reaction sh- uh, children make. They try to humorize what they've seen and belittle what they've looked at. But they're really quite disturbed. And you could tell that these two students were disturbed by what they were <laughs> discussing. Well, because they're thinking in black and white and not abstractly, and they can't, can't understand it. And they have that visceral response. You know, their body changes. Yeah. Everything changes. Correct. Yeah. So her body was reacting and she would make contortions of her face sometimes. And it was just quite strange and to the point where I felt concerned enough to just mention it to the teacher. But it happened to be just before the holidays. So there wasn't enough time to sort of intervene. But it, that, that kind of put me on mm-hmm. the path of like wanting to push more that education on what, what, are your ch- what are your children seeing? And a lot of the times, again, you know, a lot of, a lot of these, and I, I mean, Squid Game is another good example. Like that, that, that uh, ripped through our school. And that's what I mean, uh, Melanie, about this kind of connection to the wider global economy, particularly American entertainment, which bothers me. And nothing against uh, yeah. you guys, but it's just the, yeah. the, the content <laughs> that drips down is just unreal. And, and, and sometimes I wish there was a big plug we could just pull between the US and Australia when it comes to <laughs> because that ripped through our school and you know that kind of took over the culture in the sense like the, it's a similar game they were playing you know red light green light similar to uh, what's the time Mr Wolf but now that dominates our playground so that's that that's that whole idea of culture shifting and what um, how powerful media is in, in sort of insinuating that reality it is so powerful because they kids will like you said, it will take over the playground, you know, they will become these characters and what they see is what they do, especially at these younger ages. But I've got to think that it carries, that carries all the way through adolescence. We become the company that we keep. And, And for a younger child, they can't discern, they don't have the discernment. So the way they they play. It's got to be heartbreaking as a teacher to sit there and watch all this happening because yeah. they don't understand. They're not bad kids. No, they they don't understand, but they're being fed and they're being, like you said, mirrors and sponges. I think that's a perfect way to say it. And, uh, and the po- on the positive side for, for us is that 
Now, if you take that on the positive side is they can reflect good behavior and good characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's the power that children have. They have that ability to, again, soak and reflect and they will do that f- through good role models too. And I've witnessed right. that myself through even just me being the little time I get with individual interactions, I can make a difference and see the way the child interacts with their friends and their families. And I've got a great story about that, actually. It's quite close to my heart is when I was working, this is maybe four years ago now, at another primary school, this young girl, uh, we were in a library and I got called in to sort of intervene because she was throwing a tantrum in the library, getting upset. The boys were teasing her. They were prodding her. She knew, they knew that they could sort of blow her lid. She got really upset and, you know, yelled and screaming and I had to take her away from the class and draw her aside. And the teacher, sort of a bit frazzled, just uh, said, oh, she's always like this and just threw me a, um, literally threw me her sketchbook, um, which contained just her, it was just her way of kind of cooling down. She just draw in this mm-hmm. book. And what I found in that book, Melanie, was just so confronting and so heartbreaking that it just put me on that journey to continue to, yeah, want to just fill the gap. So what was in that book, it was basically suicide ideation. And oh. she, had, she just, she was a, so many good, bad drawings, if you know what I mean. She was an artist for sure. But the things that she could draw at uh, nine, ten years old was quite profound. She'd have like wilted roses, you know, she had like a sheep hanging from a tree. Um, she oh. had like poured out glass of water, broken glass. This is a nine-year-old, nine, ten-year-old, and that broke me. I just wanted to sit with her more and more and just sort of see how she was going. I had to obviously follow up, make sure she was okay all the time. So, yeah, whenever she was in class, I would just talk to her more and get to know her world and how, you know, it's important for teacher aides and I think even chaplains to be incarnate in, their child's, in the child's world, just learn how they see things. And I feel I'm quite attuned to that. I asked her some more questions and I said, you know, what do you like to watch? What do you like to listen to? And she said, my favorite movie is Terminator and um, favorite, oh. my favorite music is death metal. And I said, oh, okay. You know, the more I got to build a relationship, I said, can I challenge you with something? And she said, sure. And I said, can you do a 10-day challenge for me? I want you to stop listening to that music for 10 days and I want you to come back and tell me how you feel after this process. And, wow. you know, kids love challenges. And so she yeah. went and did this. But before she went and did that, I got to talk to her about this really simple analogy of, you know, good in equals good out. You know, we are what we like. We are what we watch. It's that analogy of you are what you eat. And I said, how does listening to this heavy metal, death metal music make you feel? She said, angry. And I said, ah, I said, angry. And I said, angry in, angry out. And she said, yes. I said, what do you feel when you listen to happy music? She said, happy. And I said, so happy in. And she just filled in my gap, happy out. And I said, exactly. So what are you going to go do after these 10 days? She said, I'm going to do it. So she literally went and did it. And I kind of, you know, forgot about it. And then she, I won't forget it, Melanie. She came running down the hallway. This is the next week, running down. And her posture had changed. Her face was bright. She ran up and she gave me the biggest hug. And she just said, she said, I did the challenge and I feel so, I feel so happy. And I'll never forget that. And um, that was that was the moment I realized that the content children consume can affect their behavior, their, um, their whole, the whole psyche. And, and, and it can be as simple as just removing something from their midst for 10 days. You know, so maybe that's something for the viewer to consider is just, yeah, what is my child consuming? Being kind of in that world. And because we're losing that moral standard in our postmodern society, everyone's saying it's your truth. It's subjective of what you think is right mm-hmm. and wrong. But, I believe deep down we can sort of discern the objectivity of some things 
as they play out in children particularly, I think we can see that children to me are like the red flags in our society. They show us how morality can be built around a society because the innocence of children affects us so much. Wow. And they're, they're so transparent. And that's what I love about that story that you just told. She was very open and very transparent with you. And that's really profound. I mean, what an incredible, well, no one, I mean, no wonder you, you're so passionate about this. When you get to see that on that close of a level, you know, dealing with kids mm. on that level, it changes you. And that's how I feel about Screen Strong and how a lot of people feel about Screen Strong. They've had personal things that have yeah. happened in their life, either with their own kids or in your situation with the situation at work. And mm. once you see that, you you just don't go back. Yeah, you have a responsibility. Yeah. I think being a young person, being mid-20s now is, again, I have a responsibility and I call out young adults to, you know, step in for your siblings, step in for, you know, those who are coming up in the next generation because we have, what I have I think is quite unique or a lot of young adults born at least say 1996 and prior, just little prior, is that, again, like I said earlier, we can stand in that space, that that pre-tech and post-tech smartphone reality. And, you know, I really believe I dodged a silver bullet. Um, I don't know what yeah. kind of person I'd be if I had access to YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok on my phone at that age, you know. Uh, like I said, I wasn't exposed to anything um, or content until I was 18 years old. That's a massive dodge on so many levels. And I had the chance, like Neil Poston would say, to develop my childhood and to enjoy that time you know i was still a big kid at you know i was playing with nerf guns at 16 years old because that was, that, was the, that was the delay that was the delay we had we weren't exposed to what was cool or in or or hip or what whatever it was just we were just in our own innocent bubble and developing as naturally as we could and that's what medical science says is the best way to go to develop every single stage to its fullest potential and not to skip ahead the way our brains are wired and the way our brains develop through you know through childhood and then through adolescence there's certain stages that just have to be met and and done appropriately and when you have a young girl who's listening to death metal and yeah this other horrible stuff, Terminator is her favorite movie. I mean, that's not appropriate. It's not appropriate on any level. I mean, no one in the medical field is including all of the mental health field, including pediatrics. And and it doesn't matter what side of any issue you're on. It's just the fact that none of that is appropriate for that age. I think that one of the reasons I, I think that we are in the situation that we're in is because parents don't know. They don't know what they don't know, if that makes sense. That's how I felt with my oldest son. Yeah. You know, he, he became very addicted to video games, dropped out of college. Like I didn't even know. I just remember being so shocked and probably a lot of people listening today are listening to your stories and they're just shocked about Roblox. You know, mm-hmm. they're thinking it's just an innocent game. They're, they're shocked about, the, the music, like we, we have to know what our kids are doing. We are the, their only defense. I mean, the adults in their life, like you were with this little girl, yeah. 
they can't do it. You know, we are just the only defense they have. And just for everybody listening, don't beat yourself up and don't let guilt disarm you. You have to start today right where you are and you have to become an expert on your kids and you have to become an expert on what they're doing because, you know, they're soaking up and they're reflecting. And so if they're reflecting some things that aren't too great, then it probably has a lot to do with what they're soaking in. Mm-hmm. And sure. that, but we, we have to, like I always have said that if parents would sit down and actually co-view and co-play That's and right. co-listen to everything that their kids are doing, even just do it for two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, I really feel like a lot of things would change in a lot of homes. Correct. I remember the day that I discovered that there was a strip club in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. couldn't believe it. And, but yet then all through my oldest game, you know, when he was playing video games in high school, it was not normal at all for me to sit down and watch what he was playing. I, I know very few parents that do that. Kids are just kind of, you know, let loose in the wild, wild west of the internet. And you think, you know, you kind of think, and you think things like, you know, oh, my kid would never just like Jen's group, not my kid. You know, we have this problem that we think they'll never do it. But I think this first step that we can say for parents is to go become an expert on the content that your kids are exposed to. And that will solve a lot of it. That will give you a lot of motivation to make changes. What are some other things that parents can do, Ben? What are some other things that you think that they can do to yeah. make some changes and to help out regardless of where they are on their journey? Mm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and that's that's a big one. Hey, the last thing I want people or parents to feel is guilt and shame over the past. Like it's, it really is a psychological mental game that parents have to play too with, within themselves and they have to bring up. But I think what I love about you know, what you guys are doing. And I think you're bringing people back to, you know, basic morality and also basic growth and functions, those things that were so important, you know, to our parents that are just, you know, inbuilt within us. It's just going back to those basics. You know, the good news is, Melanie, about children who I guess are exposed to those, those things. Problem is that they, they don't come out until later in life. But the good news is if you're teenager is developing self-awareness and your child is developing self-awareness and as a young adult you are you can learn how to look within yourself and then dissect those things you have been exposed to individually and then push yourself to what you your true core beliefs are and your teenager will, will find those things as long as the parent is always encouraging that kind of self-awareness and to their own exposure of things you know and that's been my case too is yeah, I've seen some traumatic stuff over my time on the internet. And even in video games, when I was young, there's still some scenes that pop out at you and stick with you, but you can overcome them. And the good news is they don't have an effect and a say over your life if you choose not to. So I guess that's the good news for parents to be aware of is that as your child develops and becomes an adolescent and young adult, mature person, they can then visit those places and then heal from them and actually push on to be a far richer person than, than you thought. So there's three things that I've, in my experience, as I've also been working on putting together a uh, sort of a PSA, um, public service announcement website for my own community here in Australia and where I live locally in Queensland, because I would find myself, you know, walking into situations with parents and young adults and students and trying to give them, you know, a hundred different books and, you know, articles and references for things to think about. 
So I wanted to create a website, like a one-stop shop where they can visit and, you know, get the basics and sort of uh, what's the problem, what's the solution. Yeah, I wanted to work on that. The three solutions I think I've found in my research and study and accumulating and talking to people is uh, the three solutions are boundaries, education, and trust. Boundaries is a big one and it's an important one. And it's that first step to doing a lot of good for your child, protecting them. Me and Jen Howie talk about it a lot. The, the screen time app on an iPhone is quite powerful. You can do a lot with that. You can block the camera. You can block Safari. You can even block the app store so they don't download particular apps. That all goes such a long way. And I use that in my own life. And if it's any comfort, you know, my house, my housemate is a, um, an Air Force engineer. I have screen time on his phone and he can't even get around it. So <laughs> it works. Good for you. <laughs> it, it obviously, like everything, it has its limits, but it works to a great amount and that's again like right. i said it's that first step it's that boundaries then it's that education and that formal education i think even for the child internally builds that kind of i think boundaries comes into that even that personal you have your own personal intentions and boundaries but education formulates those boundaries and then of course trust you know where a, a child can feel trusting to come to their significant parent and have yeah, have those conversations, which heal. Conversations heal. So that's all. Well, and the, the education, the, your second point is so important. It's, oh my goodness, without education, there's no way this issue is going to change at all. And for everybody listening out there, I will say that you really don't have much time, even if your kids are two years old, you still don't have much time. We don't have that much time with our kids under our roof. And so you do need to get educated. Our course, we, we have our new course yeah. up right now and it's the kids brains and screens and then the solution, the screen strong solution. And, and it does give you a lot of education and a very compact yeah. experience. So you don't have to go read a right. hundred books. You can start there and, and the trust, the third point, I totally agree with that. And I think the way that you build trust with your kids is by setting boundaries. Yes. Your kids know that it's school. They can come to you because you are an authority. You have their back. You love them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not going to let anything mm -hmm. hurt them. And or yeah. do that, you have to have boundaries in their life. And that's how you build trust. I think this issue gets very jaded because I think a lot of parents think they should be trusting mm. their kids. And even teenagers are not trustworthy yet. Yeah. I, I trust is a adult characteristic. Uh, it's an adult character quality, I guess. And it's our job not to trust our kids, but it's our job for them to trust us. So I love yes. that you put that and as your- I love, yeah. And I, what I do, and that's why I admire what you're doing, uh, Melanie. And you know, you're right, having those resources, they're all in one space. And I think when me and Jen Hoey, again, we're talking, we just wrote down a list of things that were just invaluable, I think, at the base level, you know. And I think what you've done with a group, having that Facebook group, is, is incredible to give parents that ability to get off their chest some of those burning questions and have people just respond immediately who have been in the trenches, who know what they're going through. And again, can just I think that's invaluable. I know as a parent I would want that if I ever ran into a significant issue. Um, we all have our blind spots, but yeah. just being able to say, yeah, what are you guys doing here and what works for you? And, and then you can take that and develop what works for you. So I think that, and I love how you use coaching as well, saying that we are parents are the coaches of their child's life. And I think that is profound and very, very important. Thank you. And we love what you're doing out there, you know, with all your boots on the ground, we call it. You're 
on the front line, you're, you're with children and you're actually understanding your eyes are open, I guess. And you're actually just understanding a lot more than most parents even get a glimpse, you know, you're getting a glimpse into their, their little lives and yeah. And just how they're playing on the playground and what they're drawing in their sketchbooks and all of these things that are, Mm. that are helping you understand this issue better. Thank you so much for being one of our ambassadors out there spreading the word. If, if you're listening and you're interested in being an ambassador, please contact us at team at screenstrong.com and we will explain how that whole process works. But, you know, we will help train you and give you slide decks and information to go out and to do presentations for parents and to just educate parents and get more educated yourself. Just as we start to wrap up here, the, these podcasts go by so fast. Can you just help us uh, in the podcast with a word of encouragement for parents? If if you were standing in a live audience and you had a couple hundred people in uh, in front of you, what would you say to them? What what would be your word of encouragement to them for their kids who may be struggling, you know, with all their screen issues? It's a great question, and I often really do put myself in the boots of parents. I, I'm a pretty far forward thinking person. I think ahead in the future, how I would be as a parent and what I might behave and act like and how I would think. And it's on the tip of my tongue. So I'll just say, I think a lot of it comes down to love and love will make you sacrifice. And, and you will find ways to encourage the parent out there. Love will make you find ways to put those boundaries up, to educate yourself and to build trust and I think ultimately what I want parents to know is that it's going to be okay if you do those things. And if your intent is not for harm, but for good, you know, you'll find that your, your child will come out, you know, great. The hot tip is really, it's an old proverb from ancient scriptures. Uh, it says, uh, bad company corrupts good character. Um, you can have the best child, but, you know, the influence, the influences in your child's life, having mentors, having youth groups, you know, having a child at youth groups and intergenerational play like with grandparents and you know uncles and things that are trustworthy and aunts as well that verse always comes to mind that scripture is bad company corrupts good character so but what's the opposite you know that's very encouraging and i love what you're doing i'm very excited to continue to work with you and speak with you and because we have a lot of work to do we've got to We've got to educate a whole world on this issue. That's a wonderful piece of advice, though. You, your kids uh, will never hate you for loving them too much. <laughs> and the way we do that is really important to guard and protect them. And it does make them feel very yeah. loved. So thank you for those words. And I love your boundaries, education, and trust. Those are really great points to make, easy to remember, and just falls right in line with the screen strong mission. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ben. We will be hearing more from you, I'm sure. Thank you. I mean, if it's not too late to plug that for people in my community or in Australia, I am, I am working on uh, that website and it's it's coming live soon. And there's also an Instagram you can start following now as it's under construction. It's uh, at Screen Smiles. Screen Smiles is the name uh, on Instagram. So parents are interested, it will, yeah, I think it'd be a healthy um, uh, resource for them and particularly in uh, where we're based in Australia here. So I'd love to work more with the local community. So hopefully that helps. Absolutely. And we will put all those links in our show notes and description down at the bottom for sure. We want to, we want to promote all those things as much as we can. Thank you so much. We'll touch back with you when you get all that rolling. We want to hear more about 
educating kids on this issue too. It's really important. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. All righty. Well, that was that was wonderful, Ben. Thanks again. I do want to just end the show. I'm just I just feel like I'm gonna go through our quick list of our core values for ScreenStrong. I'm just going to read them quickly for those of you who are new, just so you might be wondering where we stand on things. We're pretty bold in our message. And the first core value is to delay addictive screens. And those addictive screens are video games, pornography, and social media all through adolescence. The second one is to eliminate toxic screens. Uh, Again, the harmful screens that I just said, screen use, the video game, social media, and pornography. We know that those things are not mandatory for any age child. The third one is to develop life skills. And I talked about that a little bit in the beginning of the show, just about how we are really robbing our kids of a lot of tools and a, and a lot of healthy activities that need to happen in childhood are centered around life skills. Uh, the fourth one is prioritizing authentic relationships and True communication and connections are developed in person, not online. So we have to remember that. It's not that all screens are bad, but we do not develop those core relationships online. And the fifth one is to build healthy families. And just after listening to Ben today, it just really touches my heart over how many kids are struggling with this and how their families don't even know what they're struggling with and they don't even understand the content that they're being exposed to. So building healthy families is all about putting those boundaries up and getting educated, of course, and um, building trust, the three things that Ben talked about today. So I hope you enjoyed listening to Ben and to the podcast today. We really enjoy doing these podcasts for you. If you have any specific topics that are just burning and you want us to cover, please email us at team at screenstrong.com and we will uh, love to look at your suggestions Like I said earlier, the Kids, Brains, and Screens course is available. So go to our website, check it out. I think you'll love it. We have the 30-day detox on that as well. When you get the course, you get the 30-day detox. We mentioned the Screen Strong Families Facebook group. So jump in there if you have any questions, and you'll have lots of families jumping in to answer your questions. We know we feel very isolated when we are in the thick of some screen problems in in our homes, it's very easy to feel isolated. So we don't want anybody to feel isolated. We want them to feel like they're in a community. We love the Gab phone. We use that as a a trade for a smartphone. Um, We um, suggest that you go to our website and use the code STRONG to get a discount on that. And your homework, as usual, is to share this podcast with at least five friends. We have a lot of work to do to get the word out and we can't do it without you. So remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. Until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Mm